I'm proud to introduce the next speaker, Risha Belomo. She has over 11 years of dermatology experience. 10 years of that has been with Advanced Dermatology, Matt Levitt's group here in Orlando. She has worked um, specializing in cosmetic procedures such as Botox and Advanced Botox techniques. Risha has been featured as one of the lead derm specialists for the Extreme Bridal Makeover here in Central Florida. I'm proud to present Risha Belomo. One quick thing um, before she finishes, um, there's a mixer event from 5.30 to 8 p.m. in the Citrus Piazza. Be sure to wear your badges. It is sponsored by Amgen Pfizer. Thank you. Is this on? Yep. Okay, we're good to go. Well, thank you very much, Susan. I really appreciate it. And uh, I'm really excited to be here. I, I know you've had a long day today, and you've sat through a lot of lectures, so we're going to try to make this lecture right now really fun before you leave and go on to have a mixer, and we'll all have a drink together. So um, yesterday I did a cosmetic workshop, so there was about 40 people that were in that workshop. And so what we're going to do today is talk about the cosmetic consult. How many are doing cosmetics in the practice? And how many of you who might not be doing it are interested in doing cosmetics? Great. So what I really want to do today is talk about when that patient presents to your office, how are you going to evaluate that patient? And how are you going to make that patient who comes in and just says, in the middle of your dermatology day, hey, you know what, I don't like my number 11s, and you know what, I think I want some Botox there. And instead of you just saying, OK, I can do that, and then put some Botox or Dysport into that area, for, you know, maybe $300 or $350, you instead say, you know what, I really want to do that, but I really want to evaluate your face. I really want to have more time with you. And so let's schedule you a cosmetic consult. So I do all of my cosmetics on Fridays. So I have a full day on Fridays just for my cosmetic patients. I don't mix dermatology in there. I don't mix surgery in that day because I want to spend time with the cosmetic patient. I want to make my cosmetic patient that was going to be a $300 patient now a $3,000 patient. And I'm going to sort of teach you some tools to do that today and really what to look for. So one thing we want to look at is the aging face. So we really want to understand the face of that person. You know, this is a person you're going to be injecting, that you're going to be making recommendations. And you know what? We don't cover up our face. Everyone sees it. So we want to make sure that this person leaves our office looking great, looking restored, looking healthy, looking fresh and youthful. And it's our job to make our patient look that way. Not to look distorted, not to look fake, and there's too much of that out there. And that's not my approach to cosmetics. My approach and the way I like to teach is I want that patient to walk into a room with family and friends and everyone goes, my gosh, you look terrific. What have you done? But they don't know what they've had done. So, and you have to understand that. Um, understanding the patient themselves. What do they want? What are they looking for? What are their cosmetic and aesthetic goals? And being able to understand that. And then sometimes you have to be able to look at their budget as well, because we know when we get into aesthetics, it can get quite pricey. Um, we're going to walk through the cosmetic console, incorporating products and aesthetic services, dispensing product. How many of you dispense product out of your office? OK, so a good amount. And then how many also utilize an esthetician in their office? OK, good. I also want to talk to you a little bit about patient retention and also practice management. So we'll get to that in the end. So the face of beauty. 
everyone has a different idea of what beauty is. Eyes in the, you know, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. So when I look here at Audrey Hepburn, I mean, I just think she's one of the, I love that classic beauty. And when you walk into my cosmetic room, I have all the beauties from the 50s up there. I have Sophia Loren, I have Marilyn Monroe, Audrey Hepburn. So I have all these pictures of these beautiful women. And I had James Dean until he fell off the, off the wall and crack, so he's not there anymore. So, sorry. Um, but I have that because that to me, that era of beauty was just so amazing and it was so elegant and it wasn't fake. And so when we look at defining perfection or beauty, people want to come in, they want to have smooth skin, they want to have high cheekbones, they don't want to have hooding over their eyes, they want to be opened and fresh, they want to look good, they don't want to have brown spots on their face or veins on their face, they want everything to look smooth, almost like a porcelain doll. So we have to be able to give them that. The other thing is, what affects the aging face, okay? What happens as we age? What kind of things start to break down? So we start to get a loss of fat in certain areas, lipoatrophy, we can start getting hollowing. Enzymes um, like start to break down our collagen and our elastin, so we start to lose those nice healthy proteins that are in the skin that are our building blocks. We start to get fine lines and wrinkles. We start to get brown spots, change in texture and tone. And so when your cosmetic patient comes in, it's not about like, hey, I'm gonna give you some Botox or Dysport. No, it's about starting and looking at not only the whole face, but looking at the neck, looking at the decolletage, looking at the top of the hands. These are all areas that show age. And so it's important that you have these conversations with your patients. The youthful face versus the aging face. So here's Sama Halmick, right? Beautiful, beautiful woman. And so she's been computerized in the aging process, right? So what happens? You start to see that her cheeks start to sink in, that she starts to get this change. Her face looks dull and unhappy and unhealthy. It just looks like it's starting, you see the hollowing underneath her eyes and the wrinkles that are starting to form. And this is the normal process. Unfortunately, we're all gonna age. We're not gonna all look like we're 20 years old, okay? And then we can only bring back the hands of time so much. So we also have to enhance our, our, our beauty as we age and we have to maintain it, but we also have to accept it. And so, the goal is to make our patients sort of accept the aging process, but you know they don't have to just accept it so much that they don't do anything, but we want to maintain it. You know, I turned 40 this year, and that was a big thing for me. So I said, okay. And in the last few years, I've seen some changes, and I've been very good at maintaining over the last 20, since I was 25, skincare is definitely, I think, the key to so many things. So, and avoiding certain things. Don't smoke, lifestyle changes. If you're gonna drink, try to drink in moderation. Have a healthy diet. Try to get some exercise if you can. You know, all of these things are important. And we're gonna talk a little bit about that. Here, contributing factors of aging. So when a patient comes in, you have to ask them those questions. Are they out in the sun all the time? I've had patients that I'm not giving up my sun. I'm gonna sun every single day and I'm gonna use my tanning bed and I'm like, well, that's great. And you're gonna look like a catcher's mitt. Okay, so what are you gonna do, right? And you're gonna spend all of this money and then you're gonna complain because you don't look any better. And how much are you smoking, right? Oh, well, I, don't have, I only have so much money to spend, but how much are you spending on cigarettes? So, and look what that cigarettes does. They have a ton of free radicals. They're just breaking down all of those healthy proteins in your skin, 
have candid conversations. You know, you have to be in control of that visit as well, and you want to have those candid conversations with your patients. You know, ask them about their lifestyle. Do they get enough sleep? Do they drink enough water? You know, are they at McDonald's every day eating and drinking, you know, a two-liter bottle of Coke every day? What are they doing? And then there's things that we just can't control. You know what? You have the genes that your mama and daddy gave you, and sometimes those genes aren't always great, you know? And pollution and things that are in the air, we sometimes, we can't always avoid these kind of things. So when a patient presents to your office and they want to do a cosmetic consult, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to ask them a history, right? You're going to want to take down their age, you're going to start, and, and then the question is, do they look their age? Do they look better or do they look worse? You want to talk to them about their lifestyle habits. Are they a male or a female? because you're gonna probably approach the male patient different than you're gonna approach the female patient. And their goals might be different, and the way they might wanna look might be a little bit different. Make sure you ask them about their cosmetic procedures. Have they had any neurotoxins? Have they had dermal fillers? Have they had any laser therapy? What products are they currently using? What products have they used in the past? What do they like? What do they don't like? You know, were they happy with their experiences in the past? Have they had plastic surgery? I had one patient that actually had the procerus muscle removed from her face. So when I go to treat a glabellar complex, I'm not gonna be able to treat the procerus because it's not there. So those are things you have to ask because you'd be surprised what some people do with their face when it comes to plastic surgery. Again, talking about those lifestyle um, habits that they may have or not have, comorbid conditions. Get a good understanding of their medical history and what medications they're on. I had a lady present to me recently and she's like, well, I've had Botox before and I have had like, you know, six, six vials of Sculptra and it just never lasts. It just metabolizes and I just, it never lasts. And she wasn't coming to me, she was a new patient to me and I said, well, are you taking anything? She's like, oh yeah, I'm on growth hormone. I'm on like um, all the weight loss stuff. I'm like, well, yeah, you're on things that are creating all these different reactions in your body. You're probably not hanging on to your product. And unfortunately, when she's trying to tell me, hey, this is what I want on my face. I want, I need a whole CC or a whole vial of Sculptra and I need this and this. I'm like, you know, you also have to select your patients and then you have to say, you know, I'd love to do that for you, but I really don't feel comfortable in my assessment. I don't really feel like you really need all of that. And I'm sorry, I can't help you. And I'd be happy to, you know, try to find someone who might be able to help you. But you also, with patient selection, have to sometimes be bold enough to turn patients away. Because if you don't turn the patient away and then you end up doing something on a patient, this patient's gonna be your worst nightmare. And you are gonna be kicking yourself in the behind weeks and maybe months later when you decided to inject that patient or take that patient on as a, you know, as a cosmetic patient. It, it can be a nightmare. And I've learned this a long time ago because I got pushed into those scenarios before. Allergies and medications, so you want to know about that, of course. You really, like I said, want to identify that patient's expectations. So if a patient comes in and they have really high expectations or they're pushing you to do something you're not comfortable with, then you need to make sure you put a halt to that. Um, you want to ask them questions. Do you want to look younger? What do you want out of this? You know, do you want to look more refreshed? Do you want to look younger? What do you want? You really have to understand it. And that's why you want to give them a mirror and you want them to point out all their flaws, whatever they think their flaws are. 
And then at that point, you want to start asking them questions. Okay, well, you don't like the number 11s. Do you like your eyebrows set where they are? Do you want to lift? Do you, you have a little bit of hooding on the outside. Do you want a lateral brow lift? So do you want a chemical brow lift? Okay, and you explain to them exactly what that is. And then you explain to them about, you know, their forehead. They might want their forehead lines done, but they might not be a candidate. If you put that and they have too much hooding, then you might drop their brow too much, and you might overload them too much, and that might not be good. So the goal is for them to tell you what they want, but we're the professionals. We have to guide them to what they want. And that's why this can take time. So you shouldn't rush through a cosmetic consult. And that's why I take my Fridays out for cosmetics. Because if you're doing this in the middle of your medical derm day, and you're making your cosmetic patient wait, cosmetic patients don't want to wait. They want attention. They need sometimes a little more hand-holding. Also, um, fillers, you know, we want to look at that too. So you want to put down, so I go ahead and I do a wish list for my patient. I said, go ahead, take all, the, let's not pretend like you have just endless amount of money, right? Tell me everything you want done. And then I'm going to tell you, give you my recommendations of what I think. And I'm going to write it all down. And when we write that down, I'm going to put all the prices and I'm going to have them make that decision. So we're going to start with skincare. So what regimen are you on? We're going to tweak that. Those that dispense out of the office, you recommend stuff, either sometime it may be prescription, but it also could be um, something you dispense in your office, but you get them on a regimen. If you're dispensing out of your office and you put a patient on products that you dispense, when they run out of their product, who are they gonna come back to get product from? You guys, right? That brings them back into, oh, I'm out of my cleanser. I need to stop by my dermatology office and pick up a cleanser. And then while I'm there, hmm, you know what? I think I should make an appointment with the esthetician. I think I'm due. Or, hey, you know what? My kids need a full skin exam or, or I need to get them in. So I'm going to make my appointment. It all of a sudden starts to build your practice, not just your cosmetic practice, but your medical derm practice too. So patient sits down. You've talked about their history. Now you give them a mirror and you're telling them, point out. I like to give them a mirror and then I give them like a little applicator stick and I tell them, okay, start at the top, tell me everything you don't like. Well, I don't like this brown spots here and I don't like this line here and have them go through it and write it down. And then say, okay, well, this is what we can do. And then you start going through everything they complained about. You say, so, well, this is what we can do for your brown spots. This is what we can do for those lines here. And you start to go through all of that. This is how you're building your practice. This is how you're building that $300 patient to be a $3,000 patient. Always take photographs. Everyone should take photographs. Because let me tell you, if you didn't take a photograph and then they, you do something, they're going to come back and they're going to blame you. I had a woman I did was doing sculpture in her tear troughs. She did one treatment. She came back and she said, you made my left eye smaller than my right. I said. Okay, I don't think that's possible, but let's look at your before pictures. So I had baseline pictures. I said, well, okay, your left eye was always smaller than your right. Oh, oh yeah, I, I see. That, I never recognized that because when they, you start injecting in people's faces, they start to really look more at their face. So then they get real, this is how you get into the nightmare cosmetic patient that every time you inject, now they want something more. And this is how they start building up. Oh, well, I really liked how that was, but now what about this? And now what about that? So you sometimes have to control them a little bit because then they want too much. And that's when you're like, okay, you know what? You look beautiful the way you are. Let me see you in four months from now and we'll reevaluate. Laser, how many of you have lasers in your office? So a good amount of you. And most of you do your lasers or do you have your physicians do your lasers? Most of you do lasers? 
So this is a great thing to incorporate as well. Those who have an esthetician, bring your esthetician in. And so when you're drawing, let's say you're drawing up your product or getting your product ready, while the patient's waiting in there for you to come in, bring your esthetician in if she's available and have her talk about the other aesthetic services that you offer in your office. So we talked about this already, so we're going to go through that. So patient type and selection. So there's four patients that are going to present. There's the enhancement patient, rejuvenation patient, restoration patient, and the non-surgical patient. So your enhancement patient is your patient's about 18 to 35. You know, they're youthful, they're young, they look great, right? But they're just starting to see a little bit of changes. This is a great time for you to really educate them about maintenance. We're going to put you on skincare, okay? So get them started on skincare. Have a meet with the esthetician. They may or may not be a candidate yet for neurotoxins or dermal fillers, but they may. They may just need a little bit of dysport or Botox, and they might just need one syringe of a hyaluronic acid. So it, it may be a start for them, but you get them at a very young age really understanding how to maintain, talking about sun protection, what lifestyle habits, and then you really start to educate them because by the time they get 40 and 45, if they continue to do some type of maintenance, even if it's skincare, they're going to look better than the person who didn't do it. The rejuvenation patient is your most common patient, 35 to 55. These is, this is your market right here. These are the patients that are coming in for Botox and for fillers and for Dysport and for Radius, all of these things. They're the ones that want lasers. So these are your patients. This is the patient that you're going to make the most money off of because they're the ones that really want. They feel, I mean, I'm 40 and I could probably, I have more energy than someone who's half my age. So I feel great. Now I know my body's changing and, you know, I know that if I go out in the sun now that I always tell my patients, you know what, when you get older, when you're young, you have this beautiful, gorgeous, you know, sun bronze tan, right? And then as you get older, you get spotty. You get white spots, you get red spots, you know, it doesn't look as nice anymore, right? So the thing is, is that people who are in their 40s now, and you see it, you see the celebrities as well, they're doing everything. I mean, the women out there are power women now, and they want to look as good as they feel. Men, you have a lot of men, my most, my most, my, my men, male patients that come in, the profession I see the most for cosmetics and men are attorneys. And second is salesmen. Because they are still trying to look good. Attorneys are out there. Attorneys have a little bit of an ego too, so they want to look good, right? They're dressed in their suits. And then salesmen. As salesmen get older, they're competing with younger men. And unfortunately, you know, it's a difference. And it's a hard market. So I've had men come in and say, you know what? I lost my job. I got laid off. I'm a little bit older. I have great experience. But you know what? I need something done because I'm looking tired. I'm looking old. And I want something, right? They don't want to look fake, but they want something. And so this is a great age to really capture. The restoration patient is your 55 and older. And these are people that they look better than what they are. This is a 60-year-old that still looks like she's 45. She looks amazing. And so the, you can still do a lot with this patient. And really, you want to give them more of that refreshed look. You're not going to take 20 years off, but with them, you don't really need to. But there's still a, a market for that 55 and older. And then the non-surgical patient. Now, this is a patient that comes in, and this is when I'm like, how old are they? Oh, 80? Okay. Um, and I'm like, and I, and I tell my medical assistants, I'm like, what, is she, what does she look like? She goes, she needs a facelift. I say, oh, goodness gracious. Okay. So I'm like... 
you know, hi, Mrs. Smith, how are you doing? So what do I do? She's like, I want all of this pulled back, and I don't want plastic surgery. And I'm like, hmm, okay, well, we're going to have to talk a little bit about this, right? And this person that never did anything, do you wear sunscreen? Oh, no, I don't do anything, okay. And then I'm like, oh, you know. So you have to be, and you, you want to be gentle with them. You don't want to say, listen, you're way too gone. You know, if you don't want surgery, I'm sorry. You're just going to have to live with it. How much long? You know how much might. You're going to be in the grave soon, right? So I'm like, no, 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 no. So you have to be, and I do a lot of hand-holding. I'm like, you know, it took a long time for you to get this way. You haven't really been maintaining. And I have a lot of women that start maintaining in their 20s. And so I tell them, I said, you know, if you don't want to do surgery, then let me give you a merit. And you just tell me, what is the spot, if you had to pick one area, what area is bothering you the most? Well, let's concentrate on that area. And then I'll say, okay, once we get that, if she's happy with that one area, then we might go to another. Or, you know, and my esthetician is sweet. She's from Brazil. She's got 20 years experience. And she's so great because I'm always hyper, loud and hyper, and she's very soft-spoken. And sometimes I just know that I'm not going to be able to do much for this patient. And unfortunately, our patients that are 65 or, you know, 60 and 65 and older in this economy, they don't have a lot of money. And if I come and continue to put a lot of product in their face, I mean, they could be spending tons, just thousands of dollars. So a lot of times I'll hand those patients off to my esthetician, and she can sit there and baby them and handhold them and put them in the room for an hour and massage their hands and feet and make them feel really good about themselves. And I can maybe work on just one area for them because I don't want to take all their money, you know? And um, so I... This is a very the patient that you have to take a little more time, and you have to be sweet, but you've got to also be honest. Don't lie. Because then when they come back and you said, oh, yeah, you're going to look 20 years younger, and they don't, and, you know, their face and their skin just gobbled up that product, and they're like, where did it go? Because I don't see it. Then, you know, you have to be very cautious with this patient. Evaluation summary. So assess the patient's goals. There's a lot of things we've already talked about here. This is the sheet that I actually use for all of my cosmetic um, consoles. So it's a face sheet. I call it my face sheet. Get me my face sheet. And I have all the muscles on there and I mark it up. I'm like, okay, we're going to put so many units of this here and we're going to put this much here. And you remember for me, I might be doing full face Botox um, or Dysport. I might be putting neurotoxins in the platysmal bands and I might be doing three fillers on this patient. So, you know, I'm marking it all up. And then I put everything on the side. I put their skincare regimen, everything I want them to do, all the pricing, and then I make a copy of this and I give it to them. And some people look at it and go, okay, I want it all done today. Can she do it all today? And, I'm, and the girls will come up and I'm like, how much time do we have? And, but you know, I say, sure, we'll do it. We'll make it happen. And then some people will say, you know what? I want to start with this. And then next month I'm going to come in. I'm going to do this. And then I have the women, the stay-at-home moms. Well, I get a $500 um, allowance every month. Can I come in every month and spend the $500 here? Well, sure. So what are we going to do? So I have to work with those. But I can't have my husband come. Or I have two credit cards and a check, and I have to put it all on different things. I'm like, that's fine. And when my husband comes in for his full skin exam, don't tell him I was here. Okay, HIPAA guidelines, I'm not going to tell him you were here. So patient education, you do want to discuss what product you're going to, once you decide your treatment plan, what product are you going to, going to use, and then you want to break that down. So, okay, I'm going to use this product. This is the length of duration, so this does not last forever, you know. You're going to probably be back in three to four months. So you want to make sure that they understand the longevity of the product. You also want to understand if their expectations are here, bring them down to here, undersell and overproduce. If you do that every single time, you're going to be a rock star, right? 
you're so fabulous, you made me look so great, but make sure you lower their expectations. Um, and this is, again, just managing the patient's expectations. Making sure you're giving an amount of product. I've seen this before. Okay, patient comes in, they're like, I can only afford one syringe of Restylane, and I can only afford 15 units of Botox. That's all I can afford, and that's all you can give me. And I'm like, but the patient needs two syringes of Restylane, and they need 30 units of Botox, okay? So if I agree with the patient and only give them what they want, they're going to come back unhappy. You know why? Because I didn't give them an optimal correction. I under-treated them and they're not going to be happy because they're expecting they're going to get the results. So what you do with that patient, you say, listen, unfortunately, I understand you're on a budget and this is what you need to get an excellent outcome. You can't afford that, so my recommendation would be to just focus on one area. So if you can't afford both, then let's just do the Botox first or let's just do the fillers first. But let's use the amount that you need to get a full and optimal correction, okay? Anesthesia options, the great thing is that, first off, Botox and Dysport, they don't hurt, so you don't need to use a lot of, you know, topicals or anything. Now, some patients may request it, and if they do, but I don't use topical anesthetic. With the needle I use, it's so small, they can barely even feel it. Fillers I do, I use a topical, and a lot of the fillers now have lidocaine mixed in with it. So a lot of the days of me having to do facial blocks and dental blocks are, are gone. I don't do that as much as I used to. And you want to make sure, too, with recuperation time, that patients are, um, that you let them know. I have a lot of people that come in that are, you know, they do a lot of TV, they do a lot of presentations, they might be speakers. You know, and the last thing you want to do is if they have a big presentation in a couple days is go and inject them, and then you never ask them, hey, do you have a presentation or anything coming up in the next few days? Because they might have bruising and swelling and they're going to be very upset. So always ask them. You know, I always like to know, on the history sheet, it tells my patient's occupation, and I like that because I want to know what they do for a living. That's important to me. Um, and that also allows me to say, hey, do you have anything coming up? Because you might get a little bruising and swelling, and I just want to let you know that. Evaluating and categorizing wrinkles or rites. So you want to make sure that you're really evaluating this patient. So they have fine or coarse lines. They have superficial deep lines. Do they have static or dynamic lines? Treatment of fine and superficial lines. So patients come in, and they maybe not have a whole lot going on, but they got a lot of little lines, you know, maybe little things that are just starting. And so with these patients, these are some great options for topicals. All of them should be on topicals. Retinoids, right? Maybe some alpha hydroxy acids, antioxidants, moisturizers, sunscreens. Also resurfacing, so get them in with your esthetician. There's a lot of great chemical peels that are out on the market, microdermabrasion or combination of both, and also lasers. If you've got some access to some lasers that might be a little bit more ablative, but not so ablative that they're going to have a lot of downtime. Dynamic versus static wrinkles. We learned this yesterday in the cosmetic workshop. So dynamic wrinkles are wrinkles that you only see with movement. So when you move your face, you see the wrinkle. Okay, but at rest, the wrinkle isn't there. A static wrinkle is when you actually are at rest and you still see those wrinkles. And it's real important that you really talk to your patients because a lot of patients, when you come in, they want, when you inject them, they're like, well, you didn't inject into my wrinkle. And you're like, well, because with a neurotoxin, we're not treating the wrinkle. What are we treating? We're treating that muscle, that neuromuscular junction, right? So, and when you do that, it relaxes. Never use the word paralyze. It relaxes 
the muscle underneath, which tightens the skin on top. But if you have, and you can do, and we'll show this in a minute, a stretch test. So if you stretch the skin just lightly and the line goes away, superficial lines will do that. And then you know that with Botox or Dysport, you're going to see that the line's going to go away. If you do that stretch test and the line doesn't go away, that's a deeper line and you know that the Botox or the Dysport isn't going to make that line go away. And it's important that you explain that to your patient. And I'm going to show you here. Know your muscles, so I put this in. I'm really big on anatomy. It just drives me crazy when people are injecting in the face and they don't know their anatomy. Learn your anatomy. Memorize it. So this is static, right, Tids? Um, let me see if I can get this little thing. I don't know if it'll go on here or not. Mm. See, you say there's a pen here. Let's see if I can get this going here. I'm not sure if I can. Here we go. So these right here are stated, static wrinkles or right, Tids. They, um, this person's at rest, and so you can see here that they have these lines. Here, she's elevating her frontalis muscle there. This is before Botox. You can see she has pretty deep lines there. So this is a good example that you want to explain to the patient. You know, you have pretty deep lines, and so don't expect that these lines are going to go away once, you know, you have only one treatment. It's going to take time. So I tell these patients, because this is after, so she can't move. Because some of your patients will come back and go, well, I didn't get any results. And I'm like, well, can you move your forehead? Uh, well, no. Okay, yes, you got your results. The thing is, is you have really deep lines here. So we need to work on these deep lines. That means I want to see you every three to four months for your Botox or Dysport. And then I also want you to be on good skincare, and this is what I'm recommending. And I want you to see my esthetician as well and start doing some chemical peels. And hopefully, in one year, those will all be gone. That means I hopefully will have this patient for one year coming in at least every three to four months that I'm treating them, so we're really working on getting rid of those lines. So these are the treatments, and I have Botox up here, but at this point, you know, we have Dysport as well, and you can use. Now, I will tell you the only FDA-approved treatment is the glabella rytids. But there's a lot of things you can do with Botox and Dysport. You can treat a lot of muscles on the face. You just have to learn how, and that comes with time and experience. So this is a glabellar complex. I'm just going to show some photos here. And I put the units in of what I treated her with, and we're treating the procerus, which is right here, muscle in the middle. These are depressor muscles, so they pull downward. And we're also treating here the corrugator supercilli. We're treating the belly, which is the seven units, and the tail. Okay? When you do this, and this is a depressor muscle, what's it going to do? It's going to take that muscle out and it's going to lift it up. So you're going to see the patient won't be able to move that area, they'll get rid of that fine line that's there, and they'll have nice, and usually here, they'll get a little medial brow lift as well. So you see here. And it really just smooths that skin out over top, takes away that. Now. Men. How many of you men want to look like this? Anyone want to raise their hand? Hmm? No? So I don't know what Christian Slater was doing here, but the point is, is that when your male patients come, now here, I'm just going to go back a bit. This is a five-point injection. So five-point injections is typically probably one of the most common things we do on women. We like to treat the belly and the tail of the corrugator gives them a nice lift, okay? You can either even, we'll get into a lateral brow lift in a minute, where you actually lift the lateral brow too to give them what's called a chemical brow lift. And I 
was able to do a, a little thing, a segment on Dermcast TV yesterday. Robert Hyman uh, went ahead and, and uh, interviewed me, and then I got to do a demonstration on how to do a chemical brow lift. So I hope that once that comes out that all of you guys will, will watch that if you're interested in learning how to do that. But the point is, is with men, we don't want our men to look like this. Well, maybe some men want to look like that, but the majority of my men do not. So when I, do, when I treat a male, I do a three-point injection, okay? Now, sometimes their corrugators are really, the belly of their corrugators are really, really thick, so sometimes I need to stack one on top of the other, but I don't treat the tail of the corrugator because what's that going to do? It's going to cause them to have this more arched kind of brow, and men don't have arched brows. They like to have their brows just pretty much horizontal across. So what I'm going to do is make this patient look better without really changing the shape of his brow, okay? And that's important. So you definitely want to treat men differently than women. Now, horizontal, I like to sprinkle Botox or Dysport in the forehead. I don't like to overload it. This is an elevator muscle. This muscle lifts the forehead, it also lifts your eyebrows, and it helps women have that really nice arch, so they're able to put their eye makeup on and their eyeshadow on, and it can look dramatic. Men, not as much with this, but we're women, we like that more dramatic look, a lot of us do. I do, personally, because I like makeup and I like to put it on, and I want to be able to see my eyelids and be able to put that on. If you overload the forehead, what happens? You're going to drop it. So you're going to get a brow ptosis. So I like to usually put between 8 and 12 units typically in the forehead. And if I need to put more, when I see my patient back in two weeks, I'll tweak that and I'll put a little bit more. But I'd rather put less than more in the frontalis because I can make them look very, very smooth even with 10 units. She's not able to move. She's got a pretty good big forehead, you know. But I'm not also dropping her and making her feel heavy either because it's really bad when you drop somebody's brow. They actually have to, if they, you do that, then they actually have to lift their eyebrow and everything up and their lids up to put their makeup on. And it's not a good feeling. And they will not be happy with you and they will not come back to you. This, we did a whole upper face here. So we did medial brow lift, the glabellar complex, forehead. We did crow's feet around here. And I also did a lateral brow lift, so we did a whole chemical brow lift. So she had had Botox long, long, long time ago, then she had twins, and then a couple years later after she had twins, she finally decided, and she's like, oh, Rush, I'm just, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, I look like crap, all I do is chase children around all day. And she came in, and she really, literally, it looked like it took 10 years, because she just honestly, and she felt so much better after that, because she just felt tired, you know? And a lot of stay-at-home moms feel that way. I mean, we work, so we have to get up every day and get dressed. But a lot of stay-at-home moms, they just, you know, they start to forget about what they look like, and they sometimes get really depressed because they're not out there working, so they just run kids around all day. And so it's really nice when you see someone come in, and it makes a big difference. And that's why I like to do cosmetics is because I make people, I've had tons of people come up and give me hugs, and they're so excited. Their self-esteem is just you know, going crazy now. And that's what's wonderful about doing cosmetics is you can really make people feel really good about themselves. And here's just a side view here you can see. A lot of women have hooding, and so do men sometimes. You need to help that. And instead of getting a bleph, they can actually get a medial and a lateral brow lift and you treat around the eyes here. And you can see how that hooding, and it lifted the brow. So it really can help if you have some hooding. It can actually lift that up, and then you don't need to get a, and it's a lot less expensive than getting a bleph. 
Bunny lines, so the nasalis is a muscle, it's a banded muscle that goes over the nose. We call it the Botox sign when you start getting a lot of bunny lines because when you start to get a lot of Botox, your body wants to go back to the natural balance and so you start recruiting and you recruit from the nasalis to try to move that glabellar complex and then you start to get these lines that occur. So you can actually inject Botox into this area as well. And I'll do that if I see that my patients are starting to get a lot of movement in their nasalis, I'll recommend that they probably need about six units of Botox or Dysport in that area. This is just a man we call men wolf lines because they're not bunnies, they're wolves. Women are bunnies and men are wolves. <laughs> Platysmal bands. So this isn't for someone who has double chin and lots of fat and you know a lot of sagging. This is more for that person that you can like look and they're starting to get you know some more of that a little bit of saggingness but you can really see their platysmal bands sticking out at this point. So you actually can inject into the platysmal muscles and that'll actually help just draw back so they're not that platysmal band's not pushing that skin out so it draws it back and it tightens up the neck a little bit. This again is advanced technique. I don't recommend it unless you're well trained because if you don't hit the mark and you hit into it, then you can cause dysphagia and uh, you know some problems and you don't want that. So you don't want patients to not be able to swallow or breathe. That's not a good thing. Gummy smile. So you can put like one unit right on the other side of the nasal creases and bring, so if somebody has an, a gummy smile and they don't want it, you can drop the lip. These are all off label. Vertical lip lines, I do a lot. I usually do upper lip rather than bottom because sometimes you do bottom, it just takes it out too much. And I always tell my patients, you know, when they first have it done, this is a place that can cause a little more numbness and tingling um, when you inject here. So I let people know they might, they might have that. What it does is it helps with the vertical lip lines and it also give you a little eversion of the lip as well. And, um, but you also, I have to tell them that they won't be able to suck through a straw or whistle, typically, once they have this done. And we always have fun with this topic. We talked about it a little bit. But when we start about talking about um, sucking through straws and all this, my female patients, they get a little naughty sometime when we're in the room. So <laughs> we have a good time. Evaluating deeper folds. So now we get in a little bit more into dermal fillers. And that's why I want you to really don't think it just one. It's like, you know, when, when we're in school and they say, you know, the x-ray, if you know, just don't look for the break. Look at the whole entire picture first from the inside out or the outside in. I sort of remember that a long time ago. I, don't ask me to read an x-ray, though. I could never do it. But it's the same thing. Don't just focus on one area of the face. Look at the whole face. Look at the whole picture. And so now we'll get into, you know, looking at folds and hollowing. And so one of the most common things we see is nasolabial folds, but we have marionettes, downturned mouth. As we get older, the lips start getting more thin, so we want more plumping of the lips. Um, you get mental crease, and you can actually put Botox in the, men, in the mentalis, and you can treat the uh, mental crease as well with fillers. Pre-jowl, so you can really start to build up that jawline as well, so there's different techniques for that. Hollowing, temporal, mid-cheek, tear troughs, temp, um, you know, even in the, uh, the sunken in cheeks, we see a lot of that. Temporal and mid-cheek, so you start seeing hollowing in this area, so you want to build that cheek up. When you build the mid face up, it'll actually pull the lower face up as well. And then tear troughs and infraorbital hollowing, I do a lot of that as well. That's probably one of the biggest things that gets referred to me because a lot of people don't feel comfortable injecting around the eyes with fillers. This is the patient, the non-surgical patient. So this person says, hey, I want everything done. Okay, well, 
you really have to have that discussion. Excess sagging and you know, excess and sagging skin. So what do you do with that? Well, I like to have at least two or three plastic surgeons that I recommend, because my patients are gonna ask me, well, you know, if I decide to do plastic surgery, who do you recommend? So make sure you have somebody that you like that you can refer your patients to if you decide to bring, you know, send them over to a plastic surgeon. And you know what? If you do have a plastic surgeon that you know or like, get to know them because make a relationship. Hey, I'll send you my your I'll send you my patients for surgery, but you got to make sure that you're sending them back for their dermatology or non-invasive needs. So I'm really picky about that. But I would say nine out of ten of my patients who go to a plastic surgeon for something surgical will still come back to me for their other cosmetic needs, and I feel I feel good about that. These are just all the considerations that you need when you're thinking about dermal fillers of what you have to look at. I was just taking time here so we can get through this. Here are the, some of the dermal fillers to consider that are on the market. We have Restylane and Perlane, Juvederm Ultra and Ultra Plus, Sculptra and Radius. And how do you choose the appropriate filler? So if you have really fine lines that you want to do some detail work. I typically like to use Restylane with maybe like a 30 or 31 gauge needle or like a Juvederm Ultra, so a hyaluronic acid. If you're just learning on dermal fillers, hyaluronic acids are the best thing to learn on. So I always recommend everyone who's learning to do dermal fillers to start on hyaluronic acids. And also because they also, if anything happens, if you have an occlusion or anything like that, you can break it down with a hyaluronidase like a vitrace, and you should keep that in your office just in case you feel like you potentially could get a necrosis in that area. Then you're gonna look at deep lines that create no shadow and then folds that create a shadow. This was a stretch test, so we talked about this in the fold scale. So when you look at nasolabial folds or even marionettes, look at the fold scale. So do they have any kind of fold whatsoever. Here, if they have a mild fold, you may just need one syringe of a hyaluronic acid here that you could put right into the nasolabial folds, always starting at that upper area. This is moderate. You could get away with one syringe if you know how to place it just right. You may need like a one and a half syringe for a moderate, maybe two, depending on the patient and how moderate they are. They're mild to moderate, moderate to severe. Once you get into redundancy of skin, it gets a little bit more complicated, and typically patients are gonna spend a little bit more money, and sometimes you have to do a little bit bigger product. So you might have to be putting some radius or some perlane in there to build up, because you're gonna go a little bit deeper, maybe in the deeper dermis, or right into that you know, subdermal area to build that up. Or if you are gonna use in these areas, you might have like a hyaluronic acid, you're probably gonna have to use a, three syringes, and you're really gonna have to do a cross-hatching of the injection so you can build up a matrix or scaffolding. And a lot of times, I've treated patients like this, but a lot of times I'm laying deeper first, so I'm laying a radius or a perlane, and then I'm having them come back two weeks, and then I'm laying either a Juvederm or Restylane mid-dermal on top of it. So they've actually got layering. But you're talking about, if you're using about four syringes of product, you could get up to just treating one area like that, if they have a really deep fold, up to about $2,400. That's probably what it would cost in my office to do something like that. Here's just some, now I did Restylane here. And now you can see here in the downturned mouth, in the, I do a special technique here, it's called push ahead um, 
technique, and this is really, really great for marionettes and downturn mouth. And it's where you actually put your product. So as you're injecting your product, you actually, in, as you're injecting in, you're pushing product in at the same time. It's called a push-ahead technique. And what it does is it allows the product to push up that marionette line. It pushes up that downturn mouth. It's a great technique, and it works fabulous. And you don't have to use as much product. And so these are definitely techniques, if you don't know, that you can learn. And some of the things we talked about yesterday in the workshop. As we get older, I, like I said, when women get older, they get this downturn mouth, and their lips start to thin. And then they start just looking angry. They have this pursed lip look. And they just don't look, you know, happy, right? Once you start to fill their lip, you fill the vermilion border and the vermilion, you know, women's lips are sexy. And so you want to give them. You don't want to make them look like a duck, though. I hate that look, you know? Oh, yeah, can you put two cc's of Restylane in my lips? No, we're going to put one. And that's it, if that. You know, and if we need to put more in later, we will. But I'm not putting two cc's of Restylane in your lips. That's just ridiculous. I'm not going to do that. So I am really big about natural lips. And I just want them to look good. Also, what happens when women wear um, lipstick and their lips start to thin, they start to get a lot of feathering. So you'll see that the lipstick will start to bleed up into the skin in those fine lines. So when you do the vermilion border, it allows them to put their lipstick or their liner on. gives them a much nice, cleaner, smooth look. This is, I did um, some Botox around here. We did a lot of sculpture. He had a lot of hollowing and also a lot of creping. And so what I use with that is I use a lot of sculpture to really build up that hollowing and that lipoatrophy. And because it's a collagen stimulator, it's actually going to help smooth out the skin. So people have a lot of creping in their cheeks. I like to use sculpture because I really feel like it, it really adds to that collagen production in their skin. And I, I see really great results with this. Tear troughs and infraorbitals. I, most common patient I see this is my woman in their late 30s and early 40s. Ton of it. Because as we get into our mid to late 30s, the cheeks start to drop a little bit. And we start to lose some, you'll see the tear trough where you lose a little fat, but then a lot of times you'll have a fat pad right under here. So instead of going and getting a lower bluff, what you can do is you actually can fill this tear trough in here, and you can do it. Now, I use a lot of sculpture for this, but I've also used um, hyaluronic acids, and a lot of people use hyaluronic acids. But for me, sculpture is more of my go-to, and I absolutely love tear troughs with sculpture. Again, advanced technique, and you do, and I actually lay the sculpture right on top of the periosteum. But very, and that's why I get a lot of referrals for this, because a lot of people don't feel comfortable in my area of doing tear troughs. So, how to choose products based on patient type and condition. So, even though I do cosmetics, I would say that my cosmetics is only probably 20% of my practice. Because I love medical general derm and I love surgery. So I'm not going to just do one thing and I'm never going to limit myself to do one thing. But how do we make our medical patients cosmetic patients? Let's take a look. Everyone sees rosacea in this room? What's one of the hardest things to do and treat with rosacea? erythema, and they usually have some telegictasias. So right now, pharmaceutical companies have great meds out there for rosacea. And there are some that are in the pipeline for erythema as well. So we'll get to hopefully see those in the next, you know, maybe year or two years. But in the meantime, we have to treat this. So this is a great opportunity to turn your medical patient into a cosmetic patient. 
And this isn't probably going to be someone you're going to make thousands of dollars on, but you're going to make them a cause. And there's a lot of men that come in. I do a lot of lasers on men with erythema and telecytasia. Also, if you are if you are dispensing product out of your office, these are just some. Now, and these are just examples, and there's lots of other products that are out there. But these are examples of things that you can actually dispense out of your office. So now you have your rosacea patient come in, and maybe they are just erythema and telecytosis, but maybe they have a bunch of papules as well. So you get them started maybe on erasia, maybe metrogel or finacea. And now they come back and their rosacea looks much better, but they're still dealing with redness and telecytosis. Then you have the discussion, well, you know, we have this laser. Are you interested in getting rid of that redness and some of those veins that are contributing to that? Sure, okay, give some information. And you know what, we're dealing with redness, so why don't we add on some products from the office? So now you're taking your medical patient, they have great pharmaceutical medications for, but now you're bringing them into the cosmetic world as well. How much, you probably see this every day, post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation. So you get your patient clear and they have acne, they come back, well, I'm not any better. Well, their acne's gone, but what's left? Scarring and post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation. This is another great conversion from your medical patient to your cosmetic patient. So now this patient comes in. I love the Clarisonic to use on my acne patients. It's something we use in, in the office and we dispense out of the office. The Clarisonic brush works amazing on acne patients. I love to use um, chemical peels. Vitalize, Vipeel, there's a lot of great peels that can be used on all skin types, and so my esthetician does that. Now, these are things that are not covered by insurance, so you know, they have to buy it out of your office, and they've got to come to your office to get these services. Daily sunscreens, now you can recommend, there's a ton of great sunscreens over the counter, which I recommend, but some people also dispense sunscreen out of their office. Moisturizers, redness relief, hydroquinones, and these are things that you can dispense out of your office as well. Melasma. Melasma is tough to treat, and it's always recurring as well. And in Florida, it's really tough because the sun is a sunshine state. So we have to do a lot of education. Now, if I have a patient that's really bad, I do think Abaji. Any of you have Abaji in your office? Some of you do? I like Abaji. It's a big kit. It's got a lot of products. But the right education and the right patient, they can do amazing on this. And especially, so a lot of times what I'll do for a patient like that, I might start them on Abaji. And then I'll have them come back in six to eight weeks, reevaluate, and then have them start a series of peels once they've sort of got their skin prepped with the abaji. And so we can see a tremendous, tremendous results with this. I don't use a lot of lasers for melasma, uh, and mainly because I haven't seen as good of a result in my office and in my demogra demographics than from just doing peels and the proper product. Lots of education on these patients as well. So there's a lot of protective clothing out there that has UV protection in it, daily sunscreens, of course, and I like to use the Clarisonic on these patients as well. Now you have your patients that come in, and I'm sure all of you have had that. The patients that come in and say, well, I don't want a hydroquinone, and I don't want a retinoid. I don't want those chemicals on my skin, right? I want something organic and natural. Hydroquinones cause cancer. You hear it all the time, all these things, right? So you say, okay, all right, well, so you try to look for things that are non-hydroquinone that can help with pigment. And so these are just some things that you, and these are certain things that I've utilized um, in my office, or I've, you know, representatives have talked to me about this, and these are hydroquinone free. And so these are something that you may want to consider in your office to dispense. 
And so there's a lot of things that you can do that you can help really build your cosmetic practice. And it's not just always about neurotoxins and fillers. It, I mean, obviously we want to incorporate that. But think outside of that. You know, all your patients should be on something that drives them to come back into your office. Brightening and tightening. And what I like to do in my, because there's a ton of products out, right? And about every six months I reevaluate my products in my office. And what I do is I see, okay, what, what's selling? What am I having that's you know, being sold? Is there a certain time of year that this product line or this t particular product sell more quickly than this product? So I really look at that and I reevaluate my stock every six months. And I break it down. I say, okay, let's look at break it down by disease state. Rosacea, erythema, let's look at that. What do we have? And I have actually a whole slide presentation for my staff to talk about disease states and products that we use, both pharmaceutical and cosmeceutical, and we break it down. And then I look at melasma, and I look at acne and PIH. I also look at brightening and tightening, because some people just want to feel a more tighter and brighter. So what products are out there to do that? Because I can't have a million different SKUs, so I need to really figure out from a business standpoint in my office, what's gonna give me the most bang for my buck, what is my demographic, and you have to look at your demographic, is gonna buy, and you usually have to have different price points, okay? Once you get over that $100 price point, and I tell cosmeceutical companies this, once you start getting over that $100 price point, you know, you got a couple of products like that, I mean, Abaji's a little different, because it's got like 10 products in it, and you have to really know how to sell it, but, but a $150 product, if you get a $150 product and it's one ounce, excuse me for that, <coughs> um, how many patients, depending on your demographic, unless you're like in Beverly Hills, is gonna buy that, right? So there is a company, I don't wanna say their name, and one of their products is one product, but apparently it's got like 50 million antioxidants in it and everything. It's $260 retail for one product. I'm thinking to myself, I mean, I'm sure it's a great product, but literally, $260 for one product is a lot, a lot of money, and you gotta look at your demographics. So the goal with that is to really look at that. How many of you make decisions about what products come in, into your office? Anybody make decisions? Good. And you should make more. You should talk to your supervising physicians about that and make more of those decisions about that because it's important. And so, you know, those are things you really want to break down, and it gives you some way from a business standpoint as well how you're really gonna build your cosmetic practice. I have usually always carry at least two types of eye creams. One that's gonna help periorbital um, righted. So of course we use Botox and Dysport for this area, but there's other things that you can use for periorbital. Of course, Botox here, we showed that earlier, but dark circles and puffiness. So you, I like to at least carry a couple of different eye creams in my office so that I have choices for my patients. Chemical peels, and like I said, does anybody here do the chemical peels or do the esthetician? How many of you actually do chemical peels? Okay. See, I don't do any of the chemical peels. I refer everything to my esthetician. And she does all of these type of peels. And then follow-up. So, patient comes in and we've discussed a whole bunch of different things. Because I really want you to think outside the box when you're building your practice. If your patient comes in and you inject them, I want you to see them back in two weeks. This is it, you're making a recipe for this patient, okay? So you give them the whole plan, the wish list, right? Then you do, their, you do your pre-photos, pre and then you do your injections. You bring them back for two weeks for follow-up. 
take post photos, and you ask them, what do you like, what do you don't like? Is it perfect? Is that the perfect recipe, or do you need to tweak it? So you're trying to figure out. Because once you've sort of got that patient, and now they're coming to see you, then it's easy. Oh, yeah, Rasha, you know, they've seen me for several years. I just want the same thing you did last time. So it makes it a little bit easier. You still want to reevaluate them, because maybe they won't need as much of Botox or Dysport or fillers when they come back in. But it's important. Two-week follow-up, OK? What causes patients to discontinue treatment? Cost is a big one. They can't afford it anymore. It is expensive, right? And then we're having a lot of patients that are having hard economic times, and copays are high, and deductibles are outrageous. And uh, so cost is a big thing. Failure to reschedule. This is partly our fault. How many people say, you know what? When it wears off, give me a call. Do any of you do that? Say, hey, you know. Once it looks like it's wearing off, give me a call. No, you don't do that. You want patient retention. So when that patient leaves after that two week, you let them know, okay, you about know when it, so how long does uh, Botox and Dysport last? Maybe three, four months, right? You make sure you say, I want to see you back in three, four months. Put that down there. So it's automatically, if they're not scheduling their appointment now, if you have a system in your office, it'll go into a computer system, and you'll automatically, they'll get a call. Oh, Mrs. Smith, it's time for you to make your appointment. And so it brings them back in. So you have to keep the control to get them back into your office. Perceived lack of efficacy and longevity of product. You have to make sure you educate them on how long it's going to last. And you have to make sure that when you're injecting dermal fillers that you're injecting them at the right plane. Because I've seen so many people say, well, my Restylane didn't work or my Juvederm worked. You know why? It's because the injector was injecting too deep and the product got lost down in the deep dermis or in the subdermis and you never saw it. So the patient thought it never, never worked. Or you didn't give them enough product. You did the one cc because that's what they could afford, and you didn't do two cc's, which is what they really needed. So sometimes they're like, oh, well, that stuff doesn't work then, so I'm not going to come back. And didn't meet the patient's expectations. And that's why I said undersell and overproduce. You've got to do that in the consult. Patient retention, again, very, very important. Most of my cosmetic patients are at least coming anywhere from two to four times a year to see me. And if they're not doing that, they're coming every six to eight weeks to see my esthetician. Or they're coming in to buy their product. The goal is to get them back in the store. How do you think Walgreens and CVS and all of them are so, are so they're, you know, multi-billion dollar companies? They keep getting people to come back in. You gotta keep getting your people to come back in. And periodically, do give a patient appreciation day. And if you're just starting out, you're going to have to do a little bit more. Have nights of beauty. Have days of beauty. Get out there and market yourself. You know, Start doing a really great job spending a lot of time and get, start getting referrals. Train your staff. Your staff needs to know about the products that you sell in the office. They need to know and be educated about the mechanism of the dermal fillers and the neurotoxins that you're using have trainings in your office and make sure they know about you. So when a patient calls, they can really talk and up, up talk you. Being competitive with your pricing. I am a little bit higher in my area because of my experience level, but I've had people come in and go, oh, well, Dr. So-and-so down the road, who's a family practice doctor, by the way, only charges $10 a unit. I, you know what I say? Oh, well, good for him. You can go there then. That's fine. I don't need you here. This is what I charge. Oh, well, can't you match the price? I'm like, sorry, I'm not Walmart. I don't do that. 
So you can go somewhere else. You know what? And then they'll come back and they'll be like, oh, well, you know, I really don't. Well, you get what you pay for, right? So that's, you have to make sure. But you don't want to overprice yourself out of the market. Orlando is not Manhattan. So I cannot charge what Manhattan doctors charge. I never have any patients. So I have to be reasonable with that. Cosmetic questionnaires, we give everybody a cosmetic questionnaire. It doesn't mean that, you know, they fill it out, but a lot of people do. And so we can take those cosmetic questionnaires that are in the chart and we can see sort of what the patient's interested in. We can have them write their email address on there. So if we're going to have events or if we're going to have, you know, things that are happening in the office, we can send that. My esthetician always has like a monthly special. I don't do as many specials, but I do, we'll do, sometime we'll do a, a like a patient appreciation day. Questions about anything? And I know, I think we're right on time since and then we should be able to get out of here. But is there any questions? Yes. 